I'd like us to open our Bibles together now to the Gospel of Matthew. We are in a series of messages as we work through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These chapters bring us the famous first sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. Our sermon series is called Jesus Teaches About, and we see Jesus teaching disciples and the original hearers of this message, and he teaches us through this message how to properly live and maintain our Christian lives. We're this morning in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, in a message that I have titled, Christians Don't Play Fair. I want you to go back in time with me for a moment, and we're going to go back into and put ourselves into a a farming community, back in time way before Jesus walked the earth, a time where there's no phones, there's no electricity, your transportation is on dirt roads, maybe you're riding animals back and forth, and your family came here to this land, to this valley, with, with your tribe that moved in. And everyone in this valley are farmers. They work off of the land, and there's different produce that's that's planted and, and farmed in different areas. And one day you get some terrible news. You hear that your daughter, who was working out in one of your farms and one of your fields, she was actually fatally injured by your neighbor. She was, she was injured and, and she actually died. One of your neighbor's ox had got, one of his oxen had got, got out of his field and had started running and trampled and your daughter has been killed. It is a sad story and it's a, it's a very sad day and what are, you, what are you going to do? You've lost your daughter now at the hand of your neighbor and you want revenge. You want him to pay. You want to avenge the death of your daughter. You call all of your sons together. You call all of the family together and, and everyone is, is hopping mad and, and, and they're so upset and they're, and they're so mad that they're going to head out and they're going to seek revenge. At night, your boys head over to the neighbor's land, over to the neighbor's farm, and they burn everything. They burn it all down They kill everyone, the entire family. They wipe everyone out to avenge the death of your daughter and their sister. This is taking vengeance into their own hands. And in some cultures, this scenario actually happened. It it would happen often. Vengeance could cause entire families and tribes to, to start war with each other and cause feuds that would last for generations. That's where what's referred to as lex talionis comes in. It's a Latin word, it's a Latin term for a word that refers to the law of tit for tat. We would better know it as the saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We've heard that through the Bible. 
And we see in the Old Testament that God has actually instructed his people to use this law to manage their disagreements. As a matter of fact, we see this three times in the writings of Moses. We see it in Exodus, Leviticus, and in Deuteronomy. In Exodus, in 21, uh, verse number 23 through 25, it reads like this. It says, But if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, and a bruise for a bruise. Many people in our society today want to look at this biblical passage. They want to say, oh, you know what? Wow, that is barbaric. That is so savage. Your Bible actually says this, that, that you, can, you can take a hand for a hand? And people who don't understand the backstory will look at our faith and look at Christianity and they'll criticize the Bible because of what sounds like something that is so barbaric. He says, your Bible gives you permission to gouge out somebody else's eye? Well, that isn't love. That isn't Christ. So the Old Testament must be totally irrelevant. And that means that we can say your entire Bible is irrelevant. See, but that's not the way that God meant it. The way that God meant for this law to be used was not to be savage and brutal, but was actually to be merciful. There is mercy in the fact that what God did by initiating this, this law for his people to use was he put a value on life. He put a value on a wrong. No longer were you allowed to take all of your boys next door like the Hatfields and go to the McCoys and to take out the entire family. Your vengeance, what you were due, is now limited. There's no more feuds that are going to wipe out generations. The law says an eye for an eye. What it doesn't say is an eye for an entire family. It restricts, but it provides mercy because it says no less than an eye, but no more than an eye. The law which God gave the Israelites has been so misinterpreted through the years. As a matter of fact, it's still misinterpreted today. It was never intended to be used by individuals. If we go back and, and, and read these writings of Moses, we can see that this law was for the courts. It was for those officials to be able to say, okay, well, this is the value now of that wrong. Nothing more. This is the value. But it wasn't for individuals. Lex Talionis is the first time that we see the punishment at worst must not be greater than the crime. It says that if somebody causes you to lose a tooth, the most the courts could award you is up to the value of one tooth. Imagine you come home from work someday and you discover that your, your neighbor is backed into your car. You're not allowed to go over to your neighbor's house. We don't do it. We don't walk over to our neighbor's house with a baseball bat and say, okay, well, what do you want me to break of yours? What do you got? It's just, I'm just going to start breaking stuff. It's all your stuff. We don't do that. We don't do that and start breaking our neighbor's things because we are mad. And legally, God gave the courts, and he gave the courts of the Israelites the limits on what could be given for a wrong. A lot of our current modern day 
court systems still work off of this type of a rule. There is a limit on what the courts can give you for a wrong. See, but during Jesus' day, as the Jews of the time had done time and time and time again, People had taken Old Testament rules and laws and they had twisted them. No longer were the Jews using it solely as a law that came as a, 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 judicial, um, a, a judicial ruling, but, but people were using it every day individually and that's not the way that it was intended. It wasn't intended for people to take their own personal vengeance. And so we see that Jesus does what Jesus does. And we've seen this over the last few sermons in this series. Our Lord is going to come and take something that was such a part of life to the Israelites and the Jews at at the time, and he's going to turn it upside down. And he's going to say, this is what God intended when he gave you this rule. He's going to tell his original audience, and thus he's going to tell us what God meant by this rule. Let's start this morning. We're in the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 5 and verse number 38. Matthew writes this. Jesus is speaking. He says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say... Do not resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Wow, that's a big change from what they're living in their day and age at that time. Again, Jesus is taking the, the rule and the law that is being used by the Jews at that time, and he's saying this is what God meant by this. He's giving them instructions on how to properly live the Christian life, that's been handed down, and he's taking it out of the hands of organized religion at the time that has twisted the scripture, and he's saying, this is what it really means. It leads us to point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us, you'll see on the left-hand side of your bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks, and you're going to see those. I'll give you the answers to fill in. They're going to be up here on the big screen as well. Point number one in your notes this morning. Revenge and retribution are not to be part of a Christian's life. Revenge and retribution are not to be part of a Christian's life. There's actually some really deep meaning to Jesus' words when he's referring to somebody slapping you on the right cheek. It really means more than simply somebody hitting you in the face. That's what we, we tend to think of when we read this. But to the disciples and to the original hearers, they would have referred to, to it like this. If somebody is right-handed... And somebody is then going to hit you on the right cheek. They can't do it with the open palm of their hand. They have to hit you backhanded. Okay? They have to hit you like this. Which to be hit in the face is one thing, but to be hit hit backhanded, that's insulting. That adds an extra layer to to the detriment that that you're taking from somebody. It's it's ridicule. It's humiliation. It is is insulting to be hit with somebody with the back of their hand. And Jesus says, if somebody backhands you across the face and humiliates you and injures you and everyone is laughing at you, he says to turn the other cheek. There was a successful Irish boxer years ago who had been converted to 
faith and he had become a preacher of the gospel and he was setting up his evangelistic event in a new town one time and he had put up his tent in in this town and there were some kind of some thugs from the town that had come around and didn't really know that he had a he had a background in in boxing but saw he was putting up a tent and they came in and and really started to insult him and the irishman just just turned to them and he looked at them and one of the thugs, one of the bullies pressing his luck just took a swung, just t- took a swung right at his face and just clocked him right in, the, right in the jaw. And this boxer, he just shook his head, he said nothing, he stuck out the other jaw, he stuck his jaw out in his other cheek and the fellow took another glance at him and hit him square on the side of the cheek and then at this point... This preacher starts to take off his coat, starts to roll up his sleeves. And he turned, to, he turned to the guy and he said, Jesus told me to turn the other cheek, but he didn't give me any instructions after that. <laughs> he, says, he says, I've done my job. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 15, he says, See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. See, we can't have any part in revenge or retribution and continue to grow in our Christian walk and in our Christian faith at the same time. If we're holding something over the head of a, of a brother or sister in Christ or, or even a non-believer, what we're doing is, is harboring evil. We're harboring resentment in our heart. And we're seeing that this, this revenge and, and retribution, these dark reactions to evil worldly emotions are going to get in the way of us shining a light for Christ. They get in the way. They create a barrier for the light of Christ to be shown through us when, when we are letting revenge dictate our actions towards other people. Do they see that we as Christians are those who hold a grudge? Do they, do they see that, that they need to adjust their behavior around us? They need to tiptoe around us because of the way they think that we might react? Do people act a certain way so that they don't set us off because we've got kind of this anger problem sometimes, right? See, before we take the idea that, the, that this passage is saying that Christians are entirely to be passive and never stand up for themselves, I don't want you to take it like that because that's not what the Bible is saying. When Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, what he's saying is this. He says, don't go and start a fight with an evil person. He's saying, don't go to battle with an evil person. Don't struggle. Don't counterattack. Don't don't contest. Don't challenge an evil person. He says, "I, I, I don't want you to be the initiator of the evil towards somebody. Remember that that we don't get to change a wrong into a right simply because we're avenging another wrong. That doesn't change the situation at all, right? In our society, that's hard. I get it. Because in our society, we're all entitled. We're all owed something from everybody. We live in a, I'll get mine society. 
We live in a society that's based on everyone gets their fair share. I want you to see what Jesus has to say about that as we come back into Matthew. We're in chapter 5, verse number 40. Jesus says this, If you were sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Give to those who, who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. That's pretty deep, right? Point number two in your notes this morning is this. As Christians, we are not commanded to play fair, but rather to always offer grace. As Christians, we are not commanded to play fair, but we are commanded to always offer grace. If you are sued in court and the judge rules against you and you have to give up your shirt, Jesus says, go the next step. In those days, if you were a Jew in, in, in this area where Jesus is, in the, in the Palestinian area, then, then what would happen? There were Roman soldiers everywhere because it was a Roman territory. And if a Roman soldier came up to you and tapped you on the shoulder with this sword, points down to his bag and says, carry those, you've got two choices. Carry those or die. That's your choice, right? He can almost get anything that he wants from, from anyone around, and it's humiliating to have to pick up his bags and walk. He might want you to do some work. He might want you to, to, to lead his, his animal if he has them. Anyone who is, he can go to anyone and take anyone for his own pleasure and for his own work, just grab you on the street. And what Jesus is saying is that, that if a Roman soldier comes up to you and he says, grab my bags and take it a mile, he says, cheering, cheerfully, I want you to take it two miles. He says, I want you to go above and beyond. And we just sit back in our society and we say, I'm not going to do that. That's not fair. And Jesus says, that's the point. He says, yeah, it's not fair. That's the point. That's what I'm trying to teach you. Sometimes we as adults, we find that, that we're trying to, to manage fairness when it comes to things like, maybe like Christmas gifts with the kids. You ever see yourself doing this? There's like a bunch of grandkids or a bunch of kids, and you're like, okay, I have to get the same amount, and I've got to get the same dollar amount. I've got to spend the same dollar amount on, on the kids, right? And... We think, well, we've got to spend the same dollar amount on all the kids because that's only fair, right? Sometimes we forget that to kids, they really don't know what the sale price was, right? They, they really don't know what this is valued at. We give them gifts, and our giving really shouldn't be about a dollar amount. It should be about our generous and cheerful giving to our kids or grandkids, right? I would say that if any parent or grandparent, they have a child that's sitting around with the family on Christmas morning and the child looks at a gift that maybe a brother or sister got and says, that's not fair. I think we've got a teaching moment for a child, right? I think we've got a teaching moment. Our world lives by this idea of playing fair. If, if everyone gets an equal amount, 
But as Christians, if we play fair, then we don't... Then we look just like everyone else. If as Christians we play fair, then we look just like anyone else. And Jesus doesn't ask us to play fair. Our Lord isn't asking us as Christians to play fair because He says you're better than that. You're better than fair. Fair means you get what's coming to you. It it means that everyone gets the same amount. It means an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It means that, that you get to have a say in your vengeance. Fair means that everyone gets what's rightfully theirs and, and their own, everyone is owed their rights and their privileges. And Jesus says, Oh, Christian, you're better than that. Our command is not to play fair but rather to always offer grace. And grace isn't easy. Grace means that that I'm going to give mine because you need it more. Grace says that I that I, I know what I've got coming to me. I know that, but I want you to have it because I have some and I want you to have it. Grace means... I know you owe me, but you need it more right now. That's grace, right? It means that I deserve more, but I'm going to take less for your sake. Grace means that God offered me unmerited favor, and I'm going to offer the same to you. That's grace. The ability to manage our lives by not living by fairness, but rather living by grace, it shows that we continue to to grow in our ability to love people who are hard to love. Come back with me into Matthew chapter 5, where in verse number 43, I want you to see what Jesus says about this. He says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. That's tough to hear sometimes. It really leads to love. Point number three in your notes this morning. If Jesus can show love to everyone on earth, so must we. If Jesus can show love to everyone on earth, so must we. It seems to be one of the most difficult lessons that Jesus has discussed in the Sermon on the Mount. Loving your neighbor, that could be easy. Especially if your neighbor is is family, if you've got... You've got maybe mom or dad or in-laws living. Okay, well, maybe that's not easy. But, you know, maybe there's others who live next door that are part of family. And hating people is the absolute opposite of love. We have that tendency to naturally hate our enemies. But now Jesus is telling us to act towards our enemies the same way that we act towards our neighbors? Is that what he really is saying to us? Yes. He's saying if love is patient, 
And if love is kind, and if love is not easily angered, and if love keeps no record of wrongs, Jesus is now instructing us as Christians that we should be showing those same qualities that we do to those who we love, to those who we can't stand. The same exact qualities are what we should be showing. A reporter was interviewing an old man a while back. The old man was turning 100 years old. The reporter asked him, he says, so what are you most proud of in your life? The old timer says, he says, well, I don't have a single enemy in the world. The reporter said, wow, that's amazing. The old man said, yep, I've outlived every single one of them. I want you to see what Jesus says in John chapter 13. He says this, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. See, the Lord has already predetermined who He is going to love, and He hasn't left anyone out. He hasn't decided to love only people who are of the same political, uh, on the same area of the political spectrum as, as he is. He doesn't only love the poor. He doesn't only love the rich. He doesn't only love people of a certain skin color. He has decided to love everybody. And sometimes it's just difficult for us to love people who have wronged us. Sometimes we find it difficult to forgive people especially the people who are the reason for our hurting. We find it difficult to forgive. But Jesus says we need to continue to love people the way that He loves people. And it starts with grace. It starts with giving somebody the favor that they didn't earn because Jesus gave the same kindness to us. I wonder who is it in your life right now that Jesus loves more than you do? Who is it in your life that is difficult to love right now? It's absolutely natural and understanding that, that there are people in our lives who are going to be difficult to love, but we don't have the opportunity to choose not to love them. That's not given to us. We don't have that privilege not to love them. As Christians, we are given a command to love them. Finally, I want you to see what our Lord says in Matthew chapter 5, or in verse number 46. He says this, If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends... How are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. Look at the lesson Jesus is teaching us in the fourth and final point in your notes this morning. Christians should be recognized by their unconditional love for others. Christians should be recognized by their unconditional love for others. This morning, our, our Lord has been focusing in this message on vengeance and revenge and enemies and fairness and, and grace, and He's focusing on 
The fact that our job is not to engulf ourselves in hatred for people who hurt us, but rather to love everybody unconditionally. Everybody unconditionally. If our goal, as Christ says in verse number 48, is to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect, or to be holy like our Father in heaven is holy, then we need to be different. Holy means to be set apart. It means to be separated from. How can we be separated from this world if we look exactly like them? If we look and love exactly like everyone else, how can we be separated from them? What is it that sets us apart as Christians? Look what the Apostle John says in John 13, verse 35. Jesus says this, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. As much as our lesson has been about grace and love, it's even more of a lesson this morning that leads towards forgiveness. You say, Pastor, I've been in a dispute with a family member for six years. I haven't talked to my sister in six years. There was something happened a while back. I don't even remember the details. Or, or maybe I do remember the details because they're so fresh in my mind. And, and this is somebody in my own family that I can't stand. And, and we just don't, we don't speak. But today I realize that that I'm not, loving, I'm not loving this person any better than the pagans do. What do I do? You do one of the hardest things that we have to do, and as Christians we're commanded to do, you forgive. And it's hard. There's a gentleman by the name of David Osberger who wrote a book a while back called Caring Enough to Forgive and Caring Enough Not to Forgive. And, and this book suggests, he writes, that, that, there, that forgiveness is a journey. There are many steps to forgiveness. And he writes this, he says, The first step is that we need to be able to see the other person as having worth again. Because there was one point, there was one point when they had worth, and then we had this issue that blew up, and we see them as worthless. We need to see them as having worth again. The same way that Christ sees them as having worth. He said his second point is that we need to see your enemy as somebody who is equally precious again. Somebody who's still precious in the eyes of our Lord. Said so the third point in forgiveness, the, the, the third step along the path is we need to cancel demands on the past. Recognizing that changing the unchangeable is impossible. We can't go back. We can't change what has happened. And we, we, we can't demand that, that it is changed. This is the fourth step is that we need to work through the anger and the pain that is felt by both sides. Right? we're forgiving somebody that we haven't spoken to in a while, chances are we hurt them too, right? Chances are we're part of a problem that, that they have as well, and we need to recognize that and to start to balance between trust and risk. And finally, we need to drop the demands for an ironclad guarantee of future behavior. 
Because there's a chance something like this could come up again. And there's a chance that we're going to need to show grace again. Jesus would sum up all ten verses that we've studied this morning with one single word. He would sum it up with grace. Give grace. I wish that we would see bumper stickers on cars all over town that just said, give grace. Just give grace. See, when you stop playing fair, you start giving grace. In the moment that you were born... Jesus knew that the only way for you and I to make it to heaven is if Jesus didn't play fair. Because if Jesus played fair, you and I would absolutely get everything that we deserve. It would be an eternity separated from God. For all of the wrongdoings that I've collected in my bones throughout my life, I deserve the punishment. For all of the rebellions that I've been part of, for all the people that, that, that I have slapped on the, the right cheek or demanded their tunic and the, their coat or, or forced them to carry my bags for a mile, I deserve the penalty for that. Or, or maybe for all the people that, that I took to court to sue them for their, their coat or for all of those who were my enemy number one or for all of the heathen and the tax collectors, and the the pagans that I, I hung around, I absolutely deserve everything that I have earned. If my Savior played fair, I would have no chance. I'm so very thankful that my Savior doesn't play fair, but my Savior plays by giving grace. Our Lord plays by giving grace. And through his example, now must we. Let's pray.